Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make this switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Scott, hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Thanks. Glad to be here, Blake. So you are a pastor and a father and a husband. You're also an author. You have two books. We were we just had this very long off-camera conversation about mm-hmm. you published two books basically back to back, which is mm-hmm. crazy, but also so cool. So you have your marriage God's way and your finances God's way. Yes. Tell us a little bit about both of them. We're gonna kind of focus more on marriage, but I want to hear about both of them. Sure. Good. Yeah. So I I started preaching and my wife was seeing the time and energy I was pouring into my sermons. We'd go over the sermon together each week. There was even at a family in the church that sends kids over to watch our kids because with nine kids, it's not easy to have uninterrupted quiet time with your wife to go over the sermon. (laughs) And most people that have listened to me preach for any amount of time have heard me say, you know, when I was going over the sermon with Katie. And so she, she would see that every single, she'd call these sermons, you know, love gifts basically to our congregation. And I'm pouring my heart into them. And then, you know, you step down from the pulpit and you're pretty much done with this message. And so Katie says, hey, you know, you've got these great notes that are more manuscripts that could be turned into a book. And I kind of put her off for a long time because just like you, I was incredibly busy. And then finally, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw myself into this. We took, took, used our vacation that year. Actually, that was all of our vacation. Actually, that vacation was like the busiest I've ever been in my right. life trying to get this first book finished during those few weeks I had. And so that's how the whole journey began for me. And now, and then it kind of kept going. You know, if you look on Amazon, you can see, I don't need to talk about all my books, but you can look at them there. But I really like Christian living books Mm -hmm. on topics we deal with like marriage, finances, trials, and suffering. So you were preaching in series, I'm guessing. 
You know, it's interesting. That's a great question. I'm actually more of a verse by verse guy. I've been in Luke for a long time. I went through first and second Samuel when I first came to the church, but I saw a need for these topics to be addressed in my Mm -hmm. church. And so that's why I did it. You know, it's a, it's a little more difficult, I think, doing preaching topically because verse by verse, you just, Hey, pick up at the next verse, you know, not, not enough to be super creative. And, but I saw a real need for marriage. When I became a pastor, I saw that marriages were hurting more than I had ever imagined really. And, you know, people come to church and nobody comes in saying, Hey, we just had a big fight or, you know, we're on the way to church arguing or last night, you know, we went to bed, super angry at each other. Everyone comes in smiling and, and shiny. And after becoming a pastor, you know, people say, Hey, we need to meet for counseling. And I just had no idea right. that they were struggling. And then you find out there's their people, whether they're not talking or they're not intimate or, or they've been, you know, fighting for months. And I was like, boy, this, and I, you know, maybe pridefully it's like, Hey, I've got this mature church. Uh, it's conservative. People let me preach the word really boldly. You know, a lot of homeschooling, home, homeschooling families. And I'm thinking all these marriages are really strong, but we're, we're all selfish, sinful people. And, and so I thought I'm going to preach on, on marriage. And then I saw in the second, you know, finances is kind of like yeah. that. It was like, I'm seeing people struggle with finances. So let's talk about that from behind the pulpit. And then those, that became another book. And those two really go very hand in hand, <laughs> marriage and finances. Yeah. People frequently ask me, what are the most common marriage problems and parenting in-laws and finances are generally the top three. Absolutely. Oh, that's such a good like piece of solidarity too, because like, like you said, a lot of people aren't talking about so much of this that I'm sure that there's somebody listening that's like, oh good, it's not just us that fight about money, nope. parenting and in-laws, thank the Lord. Like, yeah. I think, and I think that that's the beauty of people like you having these conversations and writing these books and preaching these sermons is we should be as believers, like the least lonely people, but we've almost made our Christianity like a mask that everything is fine instead of feeling able to show up honestly and vulnerably and let people step into our struggles and pain. Yeah. You know, well said, if there's one thing that's going to get me an amount of let's, I don't like to say the word praise, but for lack of a better way to way to say it or compliments about a sermon, it's when I'm preaching and I share about some weakness or struggle right, or failure. So people come up and they're like, Oh, it's so encouraging to hear that. Oh, I mean, no, people don't think less of you. No. You know, when you're you're transparent or humble, instead they feel endeared to you and and generally have more grace for you. And so that's what I would encourage people that are having any mm-hmm. struggles, whether maritally or financially, is is don't try to swallow it down and act like it's it's not really an issue, but find an elder, pastor, godly brother, sister in Christ that you can go talk to to have some help with this stuff. One hundred percent. So how is your marriage? God's way different than there's the tons of marriage books out there. Yeah, Blake. And, and I know your publishing journey was much different than mine. You know, someone found you and it's like, hey, do this. My journey was like the other way around. You know, I'm looking for a publisher and every publisher asks the same question. If you're writing a book that on a common topic like marriage or finances, they say, how's this book, marriage book different than the thousand other marriage books or thousand other finance books out there? And I said, well, it's thoroughly biblical. It's grounded in God's word. Generally, these other marriage books, they kind of have a topic that they kind of elaborate on. But my book, as you're going through it, it's just, it's basically exposition of all of these marriage passages dealing, and then with some real life illustrations mm-hmm. to go along with them. And so that's it. It's more like the stories support the verses. It's not like I'm finding verses to support the stories. I think that's huge in itself. 
That's the way it should be, I think. Oh, I completely agree. But I think I'm thinking back to marriage or even Christian living books that you read. And it's usually, I mean, mine included some, some of it is stories supported by verses. I love the idea, especially in something as important and sometimes difficult as marriage to have the focus be like, here's what God has to say about this. Mm -hmm. Here's how we flesh this out, I think is huge. And one of the things you and I talked about before we started recording is a lot of the time, the issue is at the foundation. Wouldn't you say like a lot of the time, the issue is that like what we believe or know about marriage or biblical marriage in the first place can be a little jacked up. But the good news is, is like, just because you started building on that foundation doesn't mean you have to keep building on that foundation. Yeah. I have a, I have a section real early in my book where discussing the real problems in marriages are not typically the problems. Those are symptoms. Mm. What people, what people are experiencing, they come in and say, Hey, I'm having this problem. What they're actually having is a symptom. The problem is usually in people's relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. There's this vertical relationship and problems in this relationship play themselves out horizontally. And so like a husband comes in, he's super furious with his wife and my wife, this and that, you know, and I don't want to love my wife. Well, that's really saying something about his, when he says, I don't want to love my wife horizontally, he's saying something about the vertical relationship. And the same, a wife comes in, she's like, you know, I can't stand my husband. I don't, I don't want to respect him. And I sure don't want to submit to him. Well, in a sense, she's saying something about her relationship with Christ too. She's saying, I don't want to submit to Christ mm. because Christ is the one who's commanded me. And the same with the husband. The husband says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to my wife. I'm not going to love mm-hmm. her. He thinks he's saying something about his wife, but he's actually saying something about his relationship with Christ. Cause if you love Christ, you're going to love your wife. You want to obey Christ. You want to submit to Christ. You're going to submit to your husband. And so, I mean, there's qualifications on this, but uh, with that said, we recognize it's the primary command given to, to husbands to love their wives and the primary command given to wives to submit to their husbands. And we do those things. We obey those commands, not because of our spouse, mm-hmm. primarily at least, but because we love Christ and want to serve him. Yeah. I mean, I think there are obvious caveats of people being married to truly terrible people mm-hmm. and when I've had these conversations in the past, I'm like, let me qualify that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about you're married to a sociopath or a narcissist that is, you know, putting you under his thumb or treats you like crap. That is not the conversation we're having. We're having a conversation about people in the church who exactly what you said, don't want to submit and respect or love. Mm-hmm. Because they don't feel like it's earned, I think, a lot of the time. They haven't earned this from me. Or they don't know how to do it. Because I think sometimes we, like, throw these things out. And I'm like, what does that look like? (laughs) Like, how do I do? Okay, I want to. I'm game. How? (laughs) Yeah. That, no, that's great. I'm, I'm doing the best I can just being quiet here. Because I want to interrupt you about five times there to agree (laughs) with what you're saying. You go ahead and and interrupt. (laughs) You know, the first thing, the whole earned, that's so true because people come into to counseling, Blake, and it's like, they think the word if is in the command. It's like husbands love your wife if, or wives respect your husband or submit your husband if, and there's no if. Which there. like, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's tough to hear, but it's true. You know, the qualifications, no, a wife doesn't submit to sin. A wife doesn't, doesn't submit to abuse. And, and we'd be the first, we being the elders that I serve with would be the first people to inject ourselves into a situation and find a safe place for a wife and her children. Mm-hmm. You know, she was, she was being abused. And so we would never expect a, a wife to submit to abuse. Let's be honest. So most of the time 
when we're dealing with marriage problems, we're not talking about a wife that has to submit to abuse. I mean, it can definitely happen. We're just talking about a husband that for selfish reasons doesn't want to love his wife and a wife that for selfish reasons doesn't want to submit to her husband and doesn't feel like they've earned it. And that's actually why I try to draw on people's relationship with Christ so much because a husband says, you know, my wife doesn't deserve my love. And I'll say, yeah, you know, I'll surprise people and say, you're right. She doesn't, you know, but who does exactly Christ does. And so the wife says, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to submit to my husband. I'll say, I get it. He's mistreated you, but do you want to submit to Christ? And so that's what we have to draw on that vertical relationship, the work of the gospel in our hearts. You can't tell people to white knuckle it and try really hard and, oh, just in your best effort, go ahead and love this woman. You know, you don't want to love. You can't say mm-hmm. that. They don't even want to sit near each other on the couch when they come in for counseling. And so you've got to draw on the relationship with the Lord. And then as far as the how to, you know, we sort of project ourselves on other people, Blake. And I know, you know, just from your Instagram or your podcasting, you're really comfortable talking to people or being in front of people. And I project myself too. So I, I can get up and speak at a conference or before a church each week. So I just assume that like publicly praying or teaching the word is this easy thing. But there's a lot of guys I talk about being spiritual leaders and they come up to me and they're telling me about their terror. Right. They say, what if, what if I don't know what to say? What if, what if I can't pronounce this name correctly? Or what if I can't answer this question? You know, you're talking about husbands being spiritual leaders and doing family Bible study and worship. And what happens when my kids ask me a question that I can't answer? And yeah. So then after getting that enough, enough times, I realized, like you're saying, that there's a lot of people, it's not an issue of disobedience. It's more, and I mean, this as gracious as I can, an issue of ignorance. Like in our vernacular, ignorance has this terrible connotation. Biblically speaking, it just means you don't know. Yeah. Paul would say, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he tells them what they don't know. I mean, that's what the word means. Yes. We've, we've spun the connotation on it. And so people are ignorant. Like you all stand up at a conference and put all this emphasis on husbands being spiritual leaders and women, you know, they love that. And then some guy comes to talk to me and he'll, and he's genuine. He says, Hey, I want, I want to be what you're saying. I want to be the spiritual leader, but what does that look like? And, and I'll tell guy, guys, I'll say, you know, you're telling me to read the Bible with my family. And I don't, I don't know if I can read the Bible with my family. And I, I say, Hey, if you can read, you can read the Bible with your family. Yeah. I think there's a little bit too high of a, of a bar for men. They're picturing like a sermon or, you know, a, a Billy Graham crusade or something. And <laughs> I'm saying, Hey, you just need to show up, show, yeah. <laughs> open the Bible, read some verses, talk about it. Yeah. You know, most men are, are not in my position to study the Bible 20, 30 hours a week. So women need to have a very low expert. And even I think, you know, if women sat in on our family Bible studies, they better have a low expectation because I'm it's not like behind the pulpit on Sundays, you know, this is read a few verses, ask my kids what they think about it, talk about it. Yeah. I don't have the time to put a sermon together, every family Bible study. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it's in the simple moments. For example, yesterday I was having a bit of a mental breakdown, not a mental breakdown. I was just very stressed out about mold. We had a bunch of things going on and I was just not coping well. And I'm in my office and like, if this door is open, I can see straight to the kitchen table. And my husband was sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee. And I'm sitting here, like not doing anything, just kind of holding my face, a little bit of analysis paralysis. And I hear from across the house, Hey, come here. And in my head, I'm like, leave me alone. I'm stressed out. But I like walk over there and he's moved one of the chairs to like face him. And he like has me sit down and he grabs my hand and he prays. Oh, wonderful. 
he prays for us. You know, we're in this business together, prays over our business. He prays over our decisions. He prays for my heart. And look, was it an instant fix? Was I instantly like, everything's perfect? No, but it centered us and ensured that we didn't end up on opposite pages or ends of the house or whatever. That is spiritual leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Is spiritual leadership. And in a way, me not being like, no, you come here if you need something. I'm working, you know, like me getting up and walking over there to a degree is like submission and respect. It was, yeah. And so we have not done this perfectly. That is a microcosm of a moment. But I do think that it gets made into, like you were saying, this big thing when I'm like, no, like we read Jesus storybook Bible together. And when the girls come home with questions, they go to like a Christian school and kids church or whatever. And we talk about it and we pray together and we take the next right steps together. And if, if your family dynamic is more than that, then great. Like, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. But I think that sometimes in life and in this area, we don't do things out of overwhelm because we've made it something that it doesn't necessarily have to be. I completely agree with you. And there's, there are multiple ways we can make family worship or family Bible studies too high, too intimidating. One of them is just frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Guys that are like, I got to do this every day or maybe every evening and every morning. And, and then it's like this monumental, they can't climb it. I mean, they're just looking at this cliff towering over them. And so it's like, Hey, I mean, you know, you're starting to maybe two, three days per week. I mean, that's better than no days per week, or maybe you have one week and there's no family. We moved recently and I was talking to Katie and I said, we're just not doing, doing well with our, our family Bible studies. And that falls on me as the spiritual leader in our home. But the solution isn't to just throw in the towel and say, well, we're not doing well. We just won't do it. Right. The solution is, you know, try to get one day and you miss a couple of days, get another day. But if you have that of you, a bar that's too high, you just, you'll completely give up. Absolutely. Or the length of time, you know, people are, oh, I, I need to have an hour for this. Katie's the one who regularly tells me, hey, if you just sit down and pull out the Bible and go through a verse or a proverb or a few verses, I mean, that's better than, than nothing. And so with nine kids. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like my kids are five and seven. They can't watch an hour long cartoon, much Mm -hmm. less do an hour long Bible study. Like let's have realistic expectations of everybody. So speaking to expectations, I wanted to kind of get your input thoughts on what are some ways, like let's say someone's listening and they're like, oh, we've kind of gotten off track, loving and respecting one another. Obviously counseling like number one, that's my favorite. (laughs) Okay. So let's say beyond that for each party, like what's a way that they can each step into that. Good. Well, first I'd say I'd applaud them that they become convicted and they recognize something they want to change. I mean, that's a wonderful thing, conviction. And then the conviction to act on it, to respond to it, because we can all be convicted, but it's a world of difference between, you know, thinking something and, and acting on it. So when I meet people that say, Hey, you know, and they're really discouraged, we're failing, we're blowing up. I'm, I'm not loving my wife. Like I should, I'm not respecting my husband. Like I should, I'm praising them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, this is a beautiful thing to see right here. I've got some people that are listening to the Holy spirit in their lives and they want to respond to it. So I'm, I'm trying to build them up and encourage them The people that need to be, I want to say torn down or convicted are the people who are not convicted. Absolutely. The people that say, 
no, I'm, I've got it all together. I'm doing the, you know, I'm doing, and it's usually I'm doing the best I can. Right. Or they're the problem or this point to the other person. Yeah. Those are the people that don't, don't need to be encouraged. They need to be convicted. But when people are convicted to let them know, Hey, this is, I, I think you're in a wonderful spot right now. This is great. You're, you're looking toward the Lord. You want to make these changes. And I usually encourage people to focus on themselves because there's always that opportunity to not put forth as much effort when you're focused on the other person and think that person isn't trying as hard. And so even though it's a marriage, which is about your spouse, you still have to be focused on yourself and your relationship with Christ and what Christ wants you to do, because the husband gets all excited and, you know, says, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just love my wife. Like you, you've never seen before. He'll do that for a little bit. And if he doesn't feel like his wife's doing as much, then he gets discouraged. And so he's got to be focused on what the Lord wants him to do independent of his wife. That's the same for a wife toward her husband. And one of the other things I'll try to tell people that I've noticed is relationships can turn around pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, if you just have one person that'll repent and start going the other direction and be committed to that, you can see considerable improvement in marriage. And so I think that, you know, people have been in a rut for some period of time and just sort of think, well, we're destined to be just roommates. You know, we're going to have these, this light, loveless relationship. My spouse is never going to be my best friend. Other people get that, but I don't get to have it. But if people want to submit to submit to Christ, then pretty quickly things can turn around. And he can start blessing that relationship. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think I get so many DMS. I tell this, we're very, I'm getting excited. We are very open about like four years ago. We almost, my husband, and I almost got a divorce. Mm. Like, I don't know if I love you or like you anymore. We are roommates, the whole shebang. And now, you know, fast forward four years ago, we work together. He really actually is my best friend, which he wasn't before. I didn't, that concept did not resonate for me. He is my favorite person on the planet. Our Mm. marriage is better than it's ever been. Definitely has its moments because we're human. Mm -hmm. But when I tell that story, people are like, but how, like Mm -hmm. how, how long did it take? And when I look back, okay, for us, there was some mental health things that needed to be addressed and were in counseling. But outside of that, it's exactly what you were saying of, for us, it was like, we started to just assume the best of one another. Mm. We stopped villainizing one another for every single huff or where's the remote or, you know what I mean? Like, cause that I have this such a clear memory of him asking me where the remote is like in the worst of it and being like, are you blaming me? Like, I don't know where the remote is, you know, because that was just the tension we were under. And now, like, now it's funny because it's so indicative of where we were and we don't jump down each other's throats like that anymore. But now I look back, I don't want to say instantaneous because it wasn't, but it was quick. Mm-hmm. Like once we kind of sat down and had this heart to heart, come to Jesus, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. I want to be better. I want you to be better. We're on the same team. We are married because we glorify God better together. I'm going to believe the best about you. You believe the best about me. It wasn't months mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. And that's hope. Yeah, well said. Like that is hope yeah. for people who are in that. Yeah. One of the other things, you know, like I'll try to tell people, and if I just back up to get a little momentum into this, you know, we, I get a lot of requests for prayer, generally sicknesses and so forth. And I don't know that God always wants to heal. Uh, you know, I'll get people if they mm-hmm. want to have a child, hey, I don't know the God, if God is going to open the womb, give them a child or give them another child yep. job, the promotion. I mean, there's all these requests I get and it's just like, 
hard to pray because I wish I could tell people, hey, God is going to do this. But with marriage, I know he wants marriages to be strong and healthy. Yes. So when people come and they say, and they're talking about their marriage, I can pray and I can pray that God wants them to grow, that he wants, because it's called a gift. I can pray that God, that this marriage becomes a joy and a blessing and know that God's behind that. Whereas the person who has cancer, I don't know whether their cancer is going to be, be healed, but I can pray and I can tell people that I can say, Hey, God is for your marriage. Mm -hmm. This is something we know that he wants to be good and to be a blessing. And so let's, let's go to him in prayer. And I'm not a, I'm not a prosperity guy. I'm not a name and claim it guy by any means, but I'll say, Hey, we can pray and we can believe that God is behind this because his word tells us that he wants marriages that reflect Christ in the church. You know, who, who wants that more than he does. So let's go to him believing that he wants to see this, this ship get turned around here and be everything have all the health and joy that can have. I love that. I think part of the problem is prosperity gospel and putting that in air quotes has hijacked the, the concept that God is a God of prosperity, that he is the only one who can prosper us. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean material. I don't, mm -hmm. like you were saying, I mean, in the things that he has promised us in the things that he says in scripture that he wants for his kids, it's not prosperity gospel to want a flourishing marriage that reflects Christ and in, in the church. Mm -hmm. That's not prosperity gospel. That's something that God wants for you. Mm -hmm. And like, that's one of my big like beefs with the capital C church is it's all doom and gloom and sin and God is disappointed in you. And is there time and is it important to talk about the the gravity of sin and the sacrifice it took to free us from it. Yes. But like you hit the nail on the head. God is in your corner. Like God, capital G God wants to see your marriage succeed. The holidays are right around the corner and HelloFresh can take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. And like always, their ingredients travel from the farm to your door, so you know they are fresh. And everything arrives pre-portioned, so you can get right to cooking quick. Personally, our life ramps up pretty significantly in the month of November, and it does not slow down until about January. So I need help in the kitchen. HelloFresh takes the guesswork and prep out of dinner time, so mom's not stressed, and we still get to have quality family dinner together multiple times a week. So you can go to HelloFresh.com slash confessions free and use the code confessions free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash confessions free with code confessions free. Millions of Americans experience thinning hair, and among women, it's not openly talked about. So going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. You can join the thousands of women that are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength and get to the root of the issue. From postpartum to menopause, Nutrafol has four unique formulas to support women. Each is physician-formulated using drug-free, science-backed ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping 
when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Blake. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Blake. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Blake. There's power in that. And we need, and you, you said it, we need to talk about repentance. We need to talk about sin. But when we talk about it, we also talk about God wants us to have victory over it. We don't talk about it like, you know, you're the sinner and God can never love you or want a relationship with you. We talk about sin has separated you from God. Right. But you can be reconciled to him through Christ. The gospel works in your heart and he and can give you victory in this area. It isn't, it yes. isn't God's plan for you to continue to have this life dominating sin or struggle. Right. So yeah, we do. We definitely talk about sin and repentance, but repentance, but there's this context to it where it's through the lens of the gospel and the powerful work it will do to help us develop victory. It isn't God's plan for you to stay addicted to pornography or anger right. or bitterness. You know, the gospel is working to help you be delivered from, from these habitual sins. Exactly. That's the prosperity, not that God wants you to you know, have this mansion or um, 15 cars or something. Exactly. That's why I was saying they've hijacked prosperity when like, that's God's, Mm -hmm. like that's God's thing. Not, and not what they've made it, I guess, is what I was trying to say. So I love that this is where we're going to land in the end, but I want to talk about submission. Great. Okay. Which don't turn this podcast episode off. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Listen. Okay. Because Scott and I made sure that we are on the same page before we started recording. Because this is like a curse word in some well said. circles. Yeah. It is controversial. So I will go first and say that like submitting to your husband is biblical and it's beautiful. Reach. And it's how God intended marriage to function. Reach. And I will even go as far as to say it's preferable. I prefer, I don't want to be in charge. (laughs) I don't want to be the spiritual leader. I don't want to be accountable. That is a mantle that God has put upon my husband. And I am going to let him wear that well. Very freeing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Do you get a lot of pushback on this conversation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have a message I preach conferences title this submission a bad word because like you said it, it, it you know people cringe you got to lock the back doors of the church you mentioned submission people are going <laughs> to run out it's funny I'll t- uh, okay well first to answer your question believe it or not Blake the biggest criticism that I hear from women because submission is viewed as you know this cringe worthy you know bad word and we and we think it's got such a such a bad rap in the church you would expect women to be just like lined up at my door to complain about submission having to submit to their husbands but honestly, the biggest complaint I get is my husband won't lead. Mm-hmm. I wish my husband was a spiritual leader. I wish he would pray with me. I wish he would read the word with me. I don't have women coming coming and saying submission is barbaric and chauvinistic, and I can't believe God's word comes out. In fact, I can't think of a woman, a Christian woman, coming and saying that because God has put in women's hearts a desire to be able, like you said, to respect a man and look up to him. And I have women saying, "Hey, please talk to my husband about being a leader and praying with us." So. With that said, why submission? Why in the first place do we see it throughout the New Testament? It's one of the most common commands. Anyone, anyone who wants to be intellectually honest with scripture has to acknowledge because it, it's every time, there's not even a time that a wife is given instruction without being given that 
compare that command, Ephesians 5, 1 mm-hmm. Peter 3. And so what's what's going on with that? If I, if I back up and I kind of ask people to get in, your listeners to get like this elevated view of society in general, you know, if you look at any organization or structure, let's say teams, you got a head coach and assistant coach, you got president, vice president, you got pilot, co-pilot, you go to be operated on, you don't have two head surgeons, right? Right. So we see the need for authority and structure within every other organization. We see that you can't have two presidents. You can't have two head coaches. And people want to deny the same need for marriage. Mm -hmm. Wisdom dictates that what we see in every organization and structure is also needed in marriage. And so why is it needed? And I'll say this, any husband that doesn't listen to his wife's voice is denying one of the most powerful ways God wants to, to speak to him and advise him. I mean, Genesis 2.18, God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. One of the ways that, you know, and basically some women cringe at being called helper too, but honestly, Blake, it's almost like God looked down and said, hey, these guys aren't going to make it. Exactly. <laughs> when God said, I'll make him a helper, it's actually more of a commentary on a man's inadequacy right. or insufficiency than it is a criticism of a woman. Amen. So with that said, one of the most common ways that a woman helps her husband is by offering counsel, advice, thoughts. You know, if I've got, if I'm facing a decision of any consequence, there's nobody that I'm talking to before Katie, I'm calling her from my office or I'm going home to sit down with her and say, Hey, can the kids can, can the older kids watch the younger kids? We have this time in the room. I got to run something by you. We'll talk about things for hours, but there comes a point at which when a husband has valued his wife's thoughts and counsel, if he doesn't come to agree with her and she still feels like they should go left and he feels like they should go right. At that point, God says the husband becomes the decision maker. Yep. It's not, he's not the decision maker before listening to his wife's thoughts, unless he's a foolish husband who doesn't recognize why God's given him this wife. Because it, it kind of begs the question, you know, if a husband and wife have talked at length and they don't agree, you know, do they flip a coin or paper, rock, scissors? I mean, how do they decide how, decide how this thing goes forward? And so God says at that moment, the husband decides and the wife puts her, herself behind him to support him. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had women tell me over the years, something pretty close to, or maybe these exact words, you know, I would submit to my husband if I agreed with him. And, and when a wife tells me that, she's telling me she doesn't understand submission. Right. The submission is entirely in place for when you don't agree with your husband. <laughs> if right. You, right. You don't have to submit to agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I tell my, you know, I got nine kids. I mean, I, t- I tell my kids to go outside and play. That's not when they have to submit to me. Exactly. They have to submit when I say clean your room or do, do your schoolwork. And so in marriage, when Katie and I agree, you know, that's just a nice situation. The other thing, too, that I think wives should keep in mind is you, you were talking about this mantle of leadership, which I really appreciated that you don't want resting on you. There's too many women that don't let that rest on their husbands. Mm-hmm. You know, they're too busy trying to lift it off and put it on their own shoulders. But I'm telling you, Blake, when Katie comes to me and she says, because we face some major decisions recently, and Katie says, hey, this is what I think, but God has put you in charge of this family and I trust you. Yep. And whatever you decide, I'm going to support to the best of my ability and I'm going to bring the best I can, our kids to support what you decide if it's, and it, I mean, it involved moving, mm-hmm. it involved purchases, you know, purchasing a home, a lot of decisions that, have, that with that hundreds of thousands of dollars involved, location, living situation involved, my mom living with us after my dad passed away. So a lot of stuff. And Katie says, this is what I think, but I trust you. And I'm telling you when, when she puts herself behind me like that, I mean, you just feel this weight, like almost crushing you of responsibility, you know? Right. And so 
that makes me want to be prayerful. It makes me want to be in the word. And, yeah. and there's a lot of women that say, Hey, I want my husband to pray and read the word. And I'm like, well, you want him to make him feel responsible, mm-hmm. make him feel like he's in the driver's seat here. And you're not holding on to the, you know, women say, Hey, I want, <laughs> I want him in the front of the saddle, but she's kind of reaching around holding on to the reins type thing. Right. And it's like, no, put yourself behind him and make him feel completely responsible. And your life and family is in his hands. And you'll probably get a guy that's going to be spiritual and take his roles more seriously. Well, because he's going to be wanting to equip himself to do it well. I mean, most men. And again, like I'm going to keep making this necessary caveat. We're not talking about abusive, narcissistic, personality disorder, BS. We're talking about marriage between a relatively healthy man and wife. Mm -hmm. Like figuring it out. I love that quote from um, my big fat Greek wedding where the mom says the man may be the head, but the woman is the neck. I remember. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's not like completely true, but there. Her point was a wife influences. Her point was the way a wife influences her husband. Right. And that's, I I think we've also lost sight of that in the marriage dynamic. Is it like, yes, you want the mantle of responsibility and accountability and, you know, you're going to submit to that, but are you in connection? Are you growing? Are you being sanctified so that you can support him in that role to the best of your ability Mm -hmm. that you can give good counsel, that you can give non-selfish counsel, that you can be thinking for the benefit of your family and not just you as an individual. Yeah. It's interesting in first Peter three, which is one of the primary submission passages verses one through six or are about Wives submit to their husbands, and Sarah is plucked up as this example for wives. And women are told that you'll be like Sarah's daughters if you submit to your husband without fear. And and I think you know women could see that and say, well, you know, I'd have no problem submitting to my husband if I was if he was Abraham, or if I was married to the father of faith. Abraham was kind of there. You go difficult to follow. That's it. I don't don't think Sarah was plucked down as the example for wives because it was so easy for her to submit. I think she's set down as an example because of how difficult it was. I mean, how many times do they have to move? You know, it's this nomadic lifestyle. They're in one place and then maybe she's enjoying it. And then Abraham says, we got to go someplace else. How many times did he say, Hey, I need you to lie because I'm afraid for my life and tell everyone that you're my sister. I mean, he did that twice. She gets kidnapped. And so it was not easy. But what we see is God worked powerfully through her submission. Yes. It's, it's actually an incredible example of God vindicating a wife who submits to her husband when her husband isn't making the best decisions. And I'm not, again, we're not talking about a wife submitting when it means being abused or, or sacrificing the children's health or something like that. Although sometimes that can be the fear. Women will say, you know, I'm afraid of submitting because what if our family does suffer? You know, what if this isn't the best decision, mm-hmm. best place to live? What if? You know, we can't afford to eat. I mean, it, it really can be a terrifying thing. Absolutely. That's why I'll tell women submitting to your husband actually has more to do with your relationship with the Lord than it has to do with your husband mm-hmm. because it takes so much faith to submit. And so there's this idea that, you know, women who submit are like weak, wimpy doormats. And that's just the opposite. They don't, weak, weak wimpy doormats don't have the faith. No, they're not spiritually strong enough to submit. Exactly. <laughs> and, I would almost say it's easier to not. We all have that very human control. Yeah. Like, or I want to be in control. We're going to do what I, what I think is best. Like it takes a strength to offset that and say, Oh, I'm going to like trust you and God, you know, that I don't have to have, like you were your analogy earlier. I don't have to have my hands on the wheel. And I love, you've mentioned new Testament examples. 
and Old Testament examples, there's a chapter in my book about kind of our misunderstanding of the Proverbs 31 woman. And I did this just very like deep dive study of those, those verses. But when I got to her relationship with her husband, it was so interesting. Like she's out there doing it. Buying land, right. selling land. Vineyard and all that. Kind of, but he trusts her mm-hmm. and he knows her counsel is good. And he ma- she makes his life easier. Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't say that she's like you were saying, sitting at home, twiddling her thumbs, waiting to submit to her husband. Yeah. She's an incredibly hardworking woman and she builds her husband up. It's an, it's interesting toward the end of the, the passage. There's a verse that looks like it's praising the husband. It says that the husband sits in the, in the gates of the city among the elders of the land. And it's kind of like this, like this screeching halt or like this sharp turn, you know, there's this woman's yep. being praised, woman's praised, And then suddenly it's like, the husband's elevated. Mm-hmm. That's not really what's going on. When it says that her husband sits in the gate among the leaders of the land, it is actually praising her because the idea is he would not be there without her. And so yep. there's men we've looked at to be elders in the church. You know, we take it, we take that office incredibly seriously. We, we don't lay hands on, on men hastily. We think when men are become elders, they stay elders. It's not like two years and then a rotation. Mm-hmm. So there have been people, uh, one guy in particular, and we just, we're looking at him and then it was like, he can never be an elder because of his wife. And that's a sad conversation to have where you, you like someone and you recognize they're never going to reach their God given potential because of their wife, because of who they married. And part of it, cause this, you know, they won't shepherd their wives or kind of restrain them from behavior that could shame them or embarrass them. And so part, you know, when we went through everything with COVID, we looked at the husbands in the church because we knew it was a super emotional very contentious time. And we told the husbands, we said, Hey brothers, we really need you guys to shepherd your wives through this emotionally charged situation where people are on both sides. And there's a lot of, a lot of hostility. So help your wife behave herself on social media and, and uh, let's not have any, you know, gossip and we're calling on And some men, they wouldn't do it. I don't know if they're some of them, they're honestly kind of afraid of their wives. And so they'll never be in the gates. They won't be leaders in the city or the church. I kind of think about that situation with Ahab where he wanted Naboth's vineyard Mm -hmm. and then his wife Jezebel comes home and, and he's pouting. He turns his head to the wall and won't eat. And she comes and she stirs him up and comes up with this plan for Naboth to be murdered and for the vineyard to be stolen. And then Elijah comes and he confronts Ahab, which is kind of that alone is kind of interesting because Jezebel's fingerprints have been on this from the very beginning. It was her idea, her plan. She wrote the letter like she was him. She got the scoundrels that are going to come and lie about him. And, but then God sends Elijah and Elijah says, have you Ahab murdered? You know, rhetorical, he was the one who had done it. And God held him responsible, just like God held Adam responsible. You know, Eve says, hey, the woman that you gave me made me do this. But right. you reach the New Testament, it's like Romans and First Corinthians through one man, through Adam, one man, sin came into the world, one man went and you're like, man, didn't Eve have more to do with this than, <laughs> yeah. uh, but God just put it all on, on Adam. But the point I was going to make was Elijah's talking to Ahab and it said, and then after that, it says that there was nobody as wicked as Ahab. And then it says, because his wife stirred him up to do it. Mm. And, th- and that's really significant that wives are stirring up their husbands. They're influencing them and they're doing it one of two ways. They're doing it wickedly like Jezebel did with Ahab, or they're doing it righteously. Yeah. And they're, stirring their husbands up toward Christ, pointing them, encouraging them, helping them be men of prayer, helping them be sp- yes. spiritual men and spiritual leaders. And so 
But if you think about it, I mean, who is the, who's the closest, most intimate relationship in, in your life? It's your spouse. There's nobody that influences you that much. And so I tell wives, hey, it's not a question of whether you're influencing your husband because you are. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a question yeah. of how you're influencing him toward the Lord, you know, or do you break him down? Do you, do you top him off at the knees and belittle him when he makes decisions? And, or do you support him and help him become the man that God has, has gifted him to be? And I do think part of the problem is how much we have underplayed in the church, the role of the wife mm-hmm. and like underplayed and over, like we've just come at it from this really weird angle. It seems of like, we've really gone hard on the submission without explaining what that really looks like, but then also making it seem like you're not supposed to do anything. And so, and I'm not saying that it's all the fault of like Christian culture because we have our own like humanity that we add to it. But I think just having these honest conversations about what does this look like? How did God structure this? What does the father want this to look like? That's freedom. And that's what gives people the tools to step into it. I think our, once we're in Christ, like our innate desire is to model this. Well, Mm -hmm. I do think a lot of the time we just don't have the tools. I like what you're saying. And I uh, kind of an analogy I'll use is like a train. I mean, we talk about when a train is free, a train is not free when it goes off the rails and crashes down that mountain slope or slams into those trees. Right. Right. A train is the freest when it's guided by these rails that are directing it. And that's God's word. I mean, those are his commands. We experience the most freedom, not when we just go out and live however we want, like some train off the tracks. You know, we have the most freedom when we're being guided by those rails. And then kind of one of the other things I appreciate what you were saying, if I understood you, I was telling my church on Sunday that the Christian life is a life of avoiding ditches. Mm. There's these extremes so frequently, and we tend to swing one way or the other. And we've definitely done that with marriage. We've definitely done that with headship and submission. If we deal with a husband first, you know, one ditch or one extreme is to be incredibly passive, to not lead at all, to just kind of come home, you're tired, throw yourself on the couch, veg out. Churches are not talking about men being leaders in the home or in the church. And then what's the other extreme? The other extreme is chauvinism, narcissism, Mm -hmm. abusiveness, verbally or mentally. Under the guise of submission. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And so we need to stay away from both of these because that was the the original sin wasn't one of abuse, but God said, you heeded the voice or you obeyed your wife. And that led, led to the fall. And so we see that was a that was at play. There was a reversal of the roles where Adam submitted to Eve and she she took the head of the relationship. Right. But the other weakness or problem is is abusiveness. Well, the ditches with submission for wives is we don't talk about it at all. They had this marriage conference and I was asked to be one of the main or keynote speakers. So they had all these workshops and they had three keynote speakers. And we're we're doing this planning session and the two keynote speakers said their topics there. We're going around the room and it's like, Hey, what do you want to talk about? And we haven't decided yet. And so I think someone said like submission and someone said husbands loving their wives. And I thought, okay, well, if we've got husbands loving their wives, you know, I'll talk about the corresponding command for wives to submit to their husbands. And it's like, I said, it, it's like the air was sucked out of the room. You know, it's like, people are like, did he just say the S word? Yes. Yeah. So this one guy, he speaks up and I mean, he's kind of a prominent guy. You might even people could look him up and if they wanted, and he's an author and he goes, well, you know, I don't, I don't really use that word. I, I like to use the word defer something. And I'm like, that word is, this is not a man-made word. This isn't like the word Trinity. And it's not like I'm opposed to, I'm no believing the Trinity, but I'm just saying it's not a word we came up with. I didn't make this up. Yeah. And so that's the other ditch. We don't want to talk about it at all. 
Oh, a hundred percent. And then we're not, then women are out here. Like, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't know how. Yeah. Well said, kind of floundering. I was preaching on marriage in my church and I got to submission. And what I found was there was a bunch of, I'm not joking about this. I got emails from women who said, and I was introducing it. So I kind of had this introductory sermon. So I didn't get into the mechanics. And these women wrote me, they're like, Hey, we came to church all excited that you were going to challenge us. And then, you know, you didn't really hit it very hard. And again, it was the introductory message on it. But my point is there were these women. But that's awesome. They wanted to be challenged. They wanted to know what God's word says. They want to know what it looks like to submit to their husbands. And so there's a real hunger out there. So anyway, to go back to the book, Your Marriage God's Way, I mean, my book and workbook, that's kind of what I was doing was like, hey, let's unpack these commands and these roles and responsibilities. And, and let's unpack what it means to be a biblical husband and a biblical wife and what it doesn't mean. Yeah. You know, the world is twisted and polluted this. Let's just talk about what it looks like to really follow God's word in marriage. And so that's as well as behind it. I'm so glad you're kind of having this conversation and giving people tools because I think anybody can kind of skim over what this looks like. It takes work and dedication and a level of discomfort to talk about like, no, this is what this really looks like, whether you like it or not, whether you want to use the word or not, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And that, that conference actually that I spoke at when we had that planning session, we ended up having the conference and, and it was one of, one of my first conferences. And again, like, you know, I thought there were some bigger name people there. At least they seemed big to me at that time. You know, my, I'm like, they're, I'm starry eyed looking at some of these people. I can't, right. believe, I can't believe I'm up there with them. And so, and I was, I think I was kind of like the no name person. And so it, because it was, I don't want to say a liberal, it wasn't liberal, but because it wasn't the most conservative conference, my message really stood out in contrast with the other messages. And so when we finish, that's the only conference I've ever sold out of books. And that's a very bittersweet thing. But yeah, I sold it. I could not believe it. And so it was like, I just, all these people flocked because they heard something that resonated. And I don't think I did the greatest job. I don't think, but I think I told them what God's word says. And it was so fresh, refreshing for people. Right. Well, and it's like, like, it's like kids, like we, kids want rules. Kids want boundaries. Kids want to stay out of the ditches. Well, son, I'm trying to do the thing. Can you help me Mm -hmm. do it God's way, please? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you're doing that. So people can get your books and the accompanying workbooks, Amazon, Yeah, Amazon, Christian book. If people don't like Amazon or want to support a Christian organization, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, any place books are sold. Yeah. And then where can they keep up with you online? Thank you. So my website, I mean, you'll probably put the link in the show notes, but my scottlapierre.org, just my name, scottlapierre.org. And, and we talked a lot about marriage. I have a free gift. I just love to give to your listeners. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Marriage. And it's kind of a short read, kind of some excerpts from my marriage book and workbook. So don't, people don't have to worry about sitting down and reading 300 pages. And I just hope it'd be a blessing to your listeners to strengthen their, their marriages. And people can reach out to me through my website if they have questions or I can pray for them in any way. So thanks a lot for having me on, Blake. And thanks for all you're doing for your listeners and pointing them toward Christ. It's a blessing. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.